You're listening to Payments Innovation, a podcast dedicated to helping business leaders navigate today's global digital economy. Looking to learn about the latest innovations within fintech and payments? You've come to the right place. Let's get into the show. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Payments Innovation Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Arnenwein, and I'm joined today with the head of data and co-founder of Glean AI, Ankur Patel. Ankur, how's it going? Things are going well. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks. So for those who don't know what Glean is, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about what uh, Glean is and why you started it and a little bit about your background and, and what, what it means to be the head of data, which I understand within the context of Glean makes sense, but a lot of other startups don't have that title. Yeah, no, I think uh, that's a great question. So Glean is a smart accounts payable software. Uh, we help our customers uh, analyze their vendor spend in the form of invoices. So our customers would send us their invoices from their vendors. We would process them using machine learning. And then we basically provide them that spend context as they're not only paying their vendor, but in the long term trying to optimize that spend. And uh, we started this company a little over uh, two years ago. But what drew me in really was um, the fact that machine learning had matured to the point where you can actually take an invoice and without human intervention at all, process everything that you need out of an invoice and make it a, a digital data set. Um, and after that, you could do all sorts of interesting things, including having analytics um, streamed directly to, to our, our customer base. Um, in the context of Glean, I think it makes sense like where the data lives, which is in the form of an invoice. But my background in, in general has been to take um, data out of esoteric data sets. So um, particularly in the hedge fund industry, you have things like credit card receipts, email receipts, clickstream data, point of sale data, um, you know, all sorts of alternative data sets. And the challenge there is to uh, find the signal in that noise and ultimately use that signal to make investment decisions off of. In this case, it's obviously not for investments, but it is still very much for for managing something that is really difficult to manage over time. Yeah, that's interesting. So uh, as for Glean itself, you mentioned that you're an accounts payable solution as well. So you're not only helping people manage the payment and settlement of their invoices and uh, their accounts payable, but also the help them make decisions using their invoices based on the information that you're able to glean from their data. Um, so how does that work exactly? So do they upload their invoices and then your AI just takes care of the rest? Like, how is it that you're able to um, help make use of this data? And then um, in what ways is there a practical application when they're analyzing this invoicing data? Is it just that they're able to see, oh shoot, I'm paying for these SaaS providers that I forgot about, like Truebill does for individuals, or is it more about, um, you know, I could potentially reorganize reorganize my spend because there's uh, redundancy between partners. Like, how does it work that it act, like? What are the benefits of a um, client using you for the accounts payable solution and um, and the data mining of it? Mm -hmm. I think uh, the best way to think about it is uh, like traditional AP software is very operational. So essentially, what happens is that um, traditional AP software they receive the invoice from their clients, they take those invoices, and then they provide that invoice or basically, I guess, place that invoice in their software. And then there's manual data entry. And once you get all that data in digital form, then this traditional software allows their customers to pay their specific vendors. 
right? It's very tactical, very operational. You get the job of paying the vendor the right amount. That's it. We've taken a different approach, which is we don't want to put the onus on our customers to actually do the data processing themselves. So what happens is that we set up an email forwarding rule. Our customers get invoices from their vendors via the email forwarding rule that's immediately sent to us. And then we use our software, which is machine learning software built on AWS, to then process everything out of the invoice. So there is no manual data entry that our clients have to do. And we take all of that data, extract it, and map it to canonical central taxonomy. So when our clients see the data on a web app, uh, they actually see uh, not only the invoice, uh, and they could, of course, pay the invoice, but they get to see the time series of spend at that vendor month by month by month by month. So they could see exactly how much did their spend change over, let's say, the last 12 months or six months, and what were the big drivers? Which line items caused that spend to increase or decrease in that specific way? And that's like the real starting point for us is to provide that time series analysis. But we go a step further because we map all of our um, vendor data to canonical taxonomy. We can say, for example, hey, client, look, you, you have um, a plan with Zoom, but you're actually paying too much with Zoom. We see that your peers are paying less on average. Here are the line items where they're paying less. You should take this information, go to Zoom and renegotiate the terms that you have with them. That market is incredibly, incredibly opaque. So our customers don't actually know what a fair price is with Zoom because they're no longer paying the list price. They've grown to a certain size where they're paying the you know, non-list price and they have no idea what's a fair price versus um, versus like a good price. Yeah. So for people that aren't geniuses like you, what does canonical taxonomy mean? Because <laughs> yeah, I, I started hearing uh, things like that and I'm like, Wow, this is super interesting. This guy is smarter than me, and I need to listen more. Uh, but what does uh, canonical taxonomy mean for a, a layperson? Yeah, the best way to think about it is that there is, um, for example, if you receive multiple invoices from Zoom, you may have Zoom invoices that have different templates, and sometimes they might be referred to as like Zoom Technologies. Other times, the extracted data might just say Zoom. There might be like a Zoom Inc. Right? There are different versions of Zoom, and what we need to do is map it to this is Zoom, um, the video conferencing software versus this is Zoom is some other Zoom entity out there. It becomes really difficult because unless you can map it to the right um, clean uh, canonical entity of Zoom, you can't say this is the video conferencing software version of Zoom versus some other version of Zoom um, that happens right. to share the same name, but is actually doing uh, entirely bis different business. And in fact, this problem is is really apparent um, in the investment world, where you have companies that are referred to in different ways, like Apple Inc., Apple Computer, and Apple all refer to the same canonical entity in most cases, but they have different strings, right? Different pieces of text. Um, and trying to map that to, to be the same canonical form is a huge challenge. And only once you do that, can you provide really good analytics. Yeah, or even like sensing an irony in a sentence that you're gleaning, like take a bite out of Apple, or like could mean like they bought a piece of Apple stock or they're actually eating fruit. Yeah. Um, well, well, that's interesting. So that's a powerful thing because uh, to be honest, when I first started learning more about Glean, when you guys came on board at uh, Currency Cloud working with us, I thought of you guys as just a, a CFO tool to help uh, like help manage your operations and understand uh, where you're spending money. But the fact that you guys are able to take it a step further and also compare it to market trends where you can find out that you're way overpaying and that you know the sales guy that you signed up with Zoom for really, Zoom for really took you for a ride. That's a powerful thing because within 
especially SaaS businesses, a lot of these contracts are completely bespoke. And there's very, very oftentimes the companies operate on a case-by-case uh, -case basis. So there's no standardized pricing. Um, and the only way that you could really figure out whether or not you got a good deal is by like asking around and, and asking through your network. So if you don't have that network mm -hmm. of people that you can call upon, um, you have no idea what kind of deal you're getting and, and the evidence that you'll have is really anecdotal. So that's quite a uh, useful tool. Um, how is it that you're sourcing this data um, to compare uh, what the vendors are, are charging like a, a particular client? Um, and how difficult is that to, uh, once you've like been able to like acquire that, that information, uh, make sense of it immediately uh, for a individual user. So if the user experience is they've uploaded all their invoicing through your automated tool, which sounds like it's quite easy. Um, how how soon are you able to to give them useful information? Is it as simple as any one invoice has tons of lucrative information for them, or do you need um, you need to know an in depth view of what they're spending outside of that individual invoice? Like, what is that process actually like? Yeah, we only need the actual invoice, so we don't need to connect to any other data store that a client has. So let's say we have a brand new client they would typically send us six months worth of invoices and they would set up the email forwarding rule as well. But six months of invoices allows us to immediately process that data. And for us, over 80% of any uh, invoice that comes through gets processed immediately. So there's no human intervention. It goes directly through within a few minutes, you see it in our web app. The remaining 20%, there is sometimes some human review that we do, particularly if it's a vendor that we've never seen before just because there's a long tail of, of vendors out there, like single name contractors and such, but 80% plus is automatically done. Once that's loaded into our, our software, our database, and, and the client can access it through the web app, they get the analytics directly baked in. Because what happens is that our data of what is a fair price at Zoom is built off of the many invoices that we receive uh, of Zoom across all of our customers. And that allows us to anonymize and aggregate that data for Zoom. And then we're able to say, look, customer A, you're spending too much relative to the 50 other customers are also using Zoom that are about the same size that we have and that we've aggregated data for. So we think that there's at least an opportunity to negotiate for a 30% discount from what you have. And here are the particular line items that you should press your Zoom representative on because this is where, where the, the big opportunities are for you. So that's done within a, within a, in a day or two um, from start to finish. Yeah, that's like, you know, that's probably like an account manager's worst nightmare, though, when you have people uh, that come with an artificially intelligent rendered uh, percentage of what they should be paying less on your contract. So they come in, and you're like, we need to drop our, our cost by 30%. You're like, uh, why? You know, there's no reason to drop. If anything, you guys should be paying more. But like, well, actually, according to data analytics, we're, we're way above what we should be paying. So that's actually quite a powerful tool. Um, so in terms of how companies spend, um, what do you think are the biggest trends in, in how cu uh, customers are trying to better manage their spend right now? Is it that um, they're trying to figure out uh, what partners are most important? Is it that um, now you know, expenditure is, is being uh, looked at more closely from a uh, burn rate perspective? So do you work with a lot of startups that are trying to better manage their spend in a, in a turbulent market? Um, or do you work with more mature companies that are just trying to get a handle on their multiple partners? So like what kinds of customers do you typically service and what are like the, what's an example use case of how you've been able to make a difference um, for a particular brand? 
Yeah, those are great questions. I mean, I think this particular market environment where it's harder to raise valuations for or getting cut is an attractive environment for us because our clients come to us, uh, our customers come to us because they want to have a better sense of their burn and, and manage that better. It used to be that no one really cared about burn. Uh, the expense side of the equation didn't matter. It was all revenue to scroll like crazy. Um, because if you generate enough revenue, you will get a bigger round, better valuation. But a lot of companies that we we um, uh, cater to, and th these are typically you know, Series A, Series B, um, venture-backed startups for the most part, at least today. And, and we're getting into more segments of the market, but that's our sweet spot. They come to us because they want to analyze and scrutinize their vendor spend in a way that they haven't done historically. Another big problem that we see is that a lot of these uh, companies have uh, credit card-based spend. There's just been obviously a huge proliferation of credit card uh, companies like corporate credit cards. The problem with that is that you don't get detailed invoices and it's it's automated spend. So you can't, you have no control over it, right? It immediately hits your bank account that, that amount's deducted. When you move from credit card spend to invoice-based spend, you do have some payment terms there, like 15 days, 30 days. It allows you to analyze that spend really scrutinize it, get line item level detail, and then you can manage that better. So it may be that you don't need to turn off the entire vendor as a whole, but there's certain services that you don't typically need or you can get rid of because it's a nice to have, not a must have. And so the, that's where we provide the, the most value is our, uh, our customers come to us because they have a problem on their burn or they know that if they keep that burn as is, uh, then that's going to mean bad news for them because it's going to be harder with the next raise. Um, unless they get a, a, on a better trajectory. So we've had success stories where customers have come to us. We've immediately started processing their invoices. They realize there's like duplicative spend, redundant spend, overage spend, and then they're able to address it pretty quickly once they know it's there. They just don't have the bandwidth um, out to, without using software. They don't have like the people bandwidth to go in and analyze the spend. But since ours is software enabled, that becomes much, much easier for them to, to do. And I can tell you from experience that uh, many companies don't even look at their invoicing if they're not on a card-based uh, payment solution. So like, you know, from, from my experience in, in account management, sometimes people just pay without looking and there might've been a mistake on there or something could have happened. Um, and it's because it takes, takes up time. And especially for startups where the CFO might be the one that's also paying the invoicing and, and managing different parts of the business. Uh, they don't have time to go line by line um, to, to analyze what they could be paying and um, less for and, and, and all of that. So um, I definitely think that the fact that it's automated and it saves time just makes it so much easier uh, for these companies. And um, it's interesting that you said that about credit card spend, um, because I think a lot of companies see like, oh, maybe, you know, there's a, an incentive for using a credit card, but um, it could potentially be costing them a lot of money down the line. Um, do you think that this is something that um, venture capital firms would like to see their customers use because it actually adds the transparency of where their money is being spent? Like, are there other use cases for how you can can use the concept of um, artificially intelligent, analyzed uh, spend data for startups? Like, I feel like this is like a very flexible um, solution that can be like not only used for customers manage their own spend, but also the people that are investing in those companies, how they spend their money. And it just leads to more transparency. Um, have you thought about different ways that you can, you know, um, uh, put this out in the market? Yeah, that's actually one of the most attractive ways. So we have VCs, some that are invested in us that want to introduce the software to their portfolio companies because it gives them a little bit more transparency 
into what the portfolio companies are, are spending. And, and it's a tool that um, they're, they're basically putting forth out there to their portfolio companies so that their portfolio companies have a better grasp of this before it becomes a, a burning problem. Uh, that's one uh, big ecosystem that we're tapping into that we have success in. The other is, is accounting firms that cater to a lot of these startups. So startups, if you're in a 50% shop or 100% shop, you may not have a dedicated team that does uh, AP. Um, and you may have an accounting firm that is managing that for you. But in the accounting firms, they like introducing Glean to their clients because it, it makes them look really smart as well. Because now all of a sudden, not only are they doing the AP work and accounting work that needs to get done, but they're finding opportunities for their, for their clients um, to save dollars, right? So it ends up being an additional value add that they didn't have access to previously. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. And so speaking of the investment world, I know that you know your background was actually in a in the hedge fund space, if I'm correct. Like, so you were using these data analytics to, to make decisions um, on investing. So what did you learn from that experience? And uh, wh why don't you talk a little bit about what you used to do and, and how data filtered in there and how it inspired um, something like Lean? And and also, I'm just kind of interested, uh, you know, I actually came from uh, the traditional finance space myself. Um, I used to work at a bank. Uh, what is the difference for you when, when you worked in your in your past life and working in data and hedge funds versus um, working with fintech? So, you know, what that transition has been like for you? Has it been fun? Has it been, you know, boring? Or, or uh, what's, what's the difference for you? Yeah, I think uh, for me, it's been it's been a good transition. I think a more more or less a seamless transition, primarily because hedge funds, it's they're super data hungry, right? So my, my background, uh, I used to be a trader for Bridgewater. Bridgewater is one of the most sophisticated data operations in the world, and they did this even before like machine learning was a thing, right? Um, but the idea was get all of the data that you can about any single flow of, of, of dollars anywhere around the world, build a, a great model based off of that. And then once you have a good understanding of where money is moving into and out of, then you can make really good investment decisions. Um, and in more recent years, um, uh, and I was uh, the, the VP of data for a startup called Seven Park Data that ended up being acquired by Vista Equity Partners. Seven Park Data was an alternative data firm. So the goal there was to take esoteric data sets. By esoteric, I mean data sets that are alternative that people wouldn't think about as being something that hedge funds care about, but they, they deeply care about it. So email receipts, for example, email receipts have things like, you know, how many um, email receipts are there for reservations for a, like a, a Tesla three, right? So basically once you get a sense of like what the pre-orders are, then you have a sense of what Tesla is going to do as a company when they announced how many um, orders were made and how many shipments were made. So you have a, a, a leading indicator for that. Same thing with Netflix. You see Netflix subscriptions, you see Netflix unsubscribes. You're starting to see what Netflix numbers may be before they become publicly available. So email receipts are just one, credit card receipts are another, clickstream data, which is URLs that people go to, really interesting data set. You have point of sale data, so like a square device at a store, you can see what people are purchasing um, within stores. Uh, you have foot traffic data, so you know where, like who's shopping where, um, that gives you an indication. So a lot of that, data, um, like analyzing data, taking data out of like noisy data sets is the world that I come from. In this case, we only consider one data store, which are invoices, right? So invoices are the focal point, just like credit card receipts and email receipts were my focal point in the past. Now it's invoices. Invoices themselves are semi-structured. There is some structure there, but there's also, there's a lot of noise there, right? Because they do differ quite a bit vendor by vendor. But once you figure out a way to take all that information 
actually package it in a way that you could digest and analyze, then there is, you've, you've just hit gold, right? Because then you could do things like benchmarking, you provide all these like spend analytics that an individual wouldn't be able to do because they don't have access to thousands and thousands of invoices across many customers, across many vendors. We've done that using software. So for me, uh, I think the transition was a little bit difficult in the sense that you actually have to build the entire software. So like a web app that sat on top of the data, but otherwise like pulling data out of really noisy data sets that's a world that I come from. That's the world that that we're still in with Glean. Um, and I, I find it to be a really rewarding journey because I feel like the uh, finance crowd, like the AP crowd, isn't quite using ML in its many, many forms. And here we have this opportunity to go in and actually introduce it in a material way. And over the last two and a half years, that's exactly what we've built. Yeah. And it's basically, it's very similar in the sense that the hedge funds put such a priority on where they invest their money to try to get the best return. But it's just on a smaller scale in that like these CFOs are similarly looking at the data to understand how do they, you know, how do they spend their money in the most efficient way possible? Obviously not for to get the most returns, but to keep their costs down. And I think that's something that oftentimes cost saving initiatives were I want to say uh, underappreciated um, compared to ways to make money. So anything where you can that you can deploy that you can manage your spend that's like a you know a dollar saved is a dollar earned, and especially in this market, mm -hmm. and especially in businesses like uh, fintech where uh, SaaS company spend is so is like pretty much uh, one of the main one of the main costs to every business. All these different partners usually require a SaaS fee, and in order to launch your solution, you need like fifteen of them. Um, I think it is a really good solution that's in the market. And it's interesting, like where you came from. So this is almost like it seems easy for you because you've just been working on such complex data sets for so long that you look at something like an invoice and, you know, you can draw zigzags all over it and, and draw conclusions from it. So that's uh, super interesting. It, it's in some ways, it's easier um, in the sense that uh, if you could analyze an invoice and make sense of it, um, then it's it's easy to act upon, right? In, in the investment world, you have a lot of different actors and moving players, which makes it a little bit more complex. But I think I think the way you described it is true. CFOs and investors are in similar camps where they need to um, see where they could essentially buy low, right? What what's a good price to actually go in and and buy on, like just engage a vendor on, and when should they sell high? Like so, something is like overpriced, we don't need it. We could find an alternate uh, alternative. Um, vendor that that can do something similar. Let's go and sell the sell sell out of this essentially sell out of the service and go hire someone else to do something, right? So I think the idea for Glean is is eventually to also be potentially a, a introducing a marketplace. So if you want to compare a compute spend um, outside of like AWS or GCP, there are alternatives, and we have good sense of what those prices are, and it will help you discover maybe moving away from a particular vendor to another vendor. Or if you're looking for um, some CRM software, we could show you here are the, the five CRM software uh, that our, our customers use, and here are the different price points. So you can go pick and choose to give you another um, contextualized data point to make a decision. Yeah, and, and ultimately it benefits the consumer the most because they're the ones that gets the benefit of the transparency and pricing. And in a, in a market where all that information is, is public, then they, you know, let the, the best company win and let the best price win as well. Okay. Um, so yeah, I, I think this is a, a super powerful thing. So what else do you guys see for, for Glean in the future? Is this something that you would try to 
apply for retail use cases for like regular people that are spending their money? Or uh, do you want to keep this as a, a business facing product? And within the, the market itself, like, where do you think that, um, where, where do you think that you will have the most traction? Is it going to be in FinTech or is it going to be in software companies? Or do you see this as something that can be applied to, to all companies? Yeah, those are, those are great questions. I think um, it's still early to kind of make all those calls, but here's sort of the insight that we have is I think there are enough problems just as a B2B company catering to businesses that we'd like to stay within that camp. So not necessarily going after retail, although others like Truebill obviously have done this successfully for, for retail. Um, and it makes sense why that's super important. But for businesses, I think right now we're starting out with mostly venture-backed startups. And the reason we're starting there is that the set of vendors that they have, there's a huge overlap regardless of which vertical you're in. So um, you, a lot of these companies are using the likes of Zoom and Datadog and AWS and uh, HubSpot and others, right? So th there's a whole, there's a large overlap. Uh, the other thing is that a lot of their um, vendors are modern vendors that have invoices that are, are clean. They're, they're PDFs, machine readable PDFs. So it makes a problem a bit easier to solve. Now, I think our, our technology has matured to a point where we can handle things like scanned documents and handwritten invoices and such. So we can cater uh, to a larger set of um, companies beyond just the VC back. Uh, and I think there's like, for example, hospitality, tons of invoices in that space, right? Healthcare um, uh, vertical, tons of invoices there that need to get processed. So I think there are lots of other verticals beyond like technology companies or fintech companies or venture back companies that we could cater to, but that will likely be like a post series A um, approach that we take on. Um, but I think right now we're focusing on invoices, but eventually I think what we can do is focus on contracts as well and POs, right? Um, there's a potential to even be on the AR side of things. So I think there are a couple of things we could do to expand our footprint, um, catering again to these businesses that need to manage their, their burn, uh, but doing more than just the invoice themselves. So contracts are really important because the contracts set the term for when negotiations happen, um, how much the price can move from one period to another. So if we could provide information to our customers before they even engage in the first contract, they're already setting themselves up to be in a really good position, right? Um, is once you sign a 12-month contract and we see your invoice, there's not a whole lot we can do. You can't break that contract. But if someone um, basically uploads a quote or a pending contract, we could look at the contract terms and say, no, don't sign this contract. Here are a couple of things we would recommend you do. And then when they sign the contract, it's already optimal spend for them. Um, and then we could obviously monitor that over the next 12 months and help inform them as they're going into the next negotiation period. Yeah, this is this is an, an awesome tool. I mean, I myself always used to pride myself on my negotiation skills and it's a skill that I invested in and I tried to read books and all that. Um, but now hearing that, you know, you don't even have to be like a necessarily a good negotiator. You just need the right data and the right information and then you can let the numbers speak for themselves. That's a really powerful tool, especially for people that don't have a lot of time to uh, sit and haggle all day and, and try to come up with excuses on, on what to pay. So being able to just spin up something and, um, you know, and accurately explain with, with data backed reasons for why you should be paying less is, is awesome. And that's something that I would, you know, um, I think every founder wishes they had, um, especially when you're getting handwritten invoices. I'm like, I wouldn't even, you're saying like, don't break the contract. I'm like, if someone hands me a handwritten invoice, I'm not paying that. So yeah, I'm going to break that contract. Um, uh, so, I mean, I think, you know, I think we've learned a lot about Glean. Um, I think 
I honestly learned a lot more about the power of data. Um, but we've talked a lot about venture back startups and and the the current economic climate. I know that Glean actually is the perfect company for this type of situation because it's now a time when people that used to be flush with cash uh, might find themselves in a position to to manage their burn rate, and they're going to have to have more questions to answer for. I know um, why Combinator is as you know release public statements and and uh emailed all of their their companies that look you know burn rate is important and you know manager spend and so um they're trying to learn on the fly how to do so um where do you think fintech goes from here what kinds of companies do you think are going to survive this this next economic downturn or do you think that um fintech as itself is so nascent that um it can survive uh, something like a recession um so wh where do you think as uh, the market as a whole uh, where it would be going, particularly in fintech, since it's a fintech podcast. Yeah, absolutely. I think with fintech, there is still so much left to be built. And I think what happens is that there's going to be more scrutiny on is your um, core business model sound, fundamentally sound, right? So you're not just like growing like crazy because you're spending on marketing like crazy, but without that marketing growth and kind of the, the valuation that you're seeing after price round after price round, um, you know, is there more to stand? So for example, if you'd stop uh, some of the marketing spend, um, can you still make dollar, can you can you still make uh, a decent profit um, or have a path to prof profitability with the, the core business model that you have? I think the, the fintech um, companies that will do best or will fare the best are the ones that think about monetizing across different um, lines of businesses, right? So one of the things that, that obviously is really popular in fintech is, um, you have one distribution channel that may be like directly selling to other companies, right? So like a B2B play. But I think partnerships obviously open up, but then if you could monetize some of your technology, like uh, for example, on Glean side, we have a web app. Our customers log on to the web app, they look at their spend and they pay their spend. But you know, we've been considering, and we could, we could certainly do this um, uh, pretty quickly, is have a business that is built also on, on API. So we make our technology, the invoice processing technology, available as uh, API for other companies to go use. So they could embed our technology in their offering, right? Because we're not going to be the AP solution for every single company out there. And there are a lot of other companies that do AP or in an adjacent space where they provide vendor spend, um, vendor spend management, but using our core technology to process invoices and contracts and POs and such, opens up just more possibilities for them. So now all of a sudden, you don't have just one pillar of growth, you have a couple of pillars of growth. And, and I think that that's what adds more stability. And I think that's where fintech is also going to, um, uh, the fintech companies that do well will be the ones that can can pivot so that they're not just relying on one type of growth. Because if that's the case and that, that customer base slows down or shrinks for whatever reason, then all of a sudden um, the business as a whole starts, starts looking a lot weaker, right? The fundamentals aren't quite there. Um, that, that's, that's what we're seeing so far right now. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. And I love it as a partnerships guy, when you say things mm -hmm. like uh, any additional distribution channels can really make a difference because it's true. Um, like you said, when you're, when you're just, um, when you only have one method of distributing your product and that's like through the direct way, that means that all of your customers have to either come from referrals or from your marketing channels, as opposed to embedding yourself into you know, big brands, well-known companies, and letting their engine do the job too, and let their marketing team and their um, and their team go out and resell your product for you. Um, and so I think that's a powerful thing. It's something that Currency Cloud prides itself on. Is you know we're an embedded service, and mm -hmm. and we enable our customers to go out in the market and 
um, earn additional revenue streams. But when our customers do well, we do well too. And so I think being an embedded solution is, is something that's really important in this market. And um, it's something that I'm excited about. I think a particular advantage of you guys is you're not offering a regulated service. And so a lot of uh, companies in FinTech are layered service models uh, for regulated banking services. And we've seen in, uh, in recent times that the regulators are starting to try to not necessarily crack down, but um, better understand what that means for the consumer and what implications that has for the law. But the ability to analyze data is not something that you know will uh, have to go through a lot of legal or regulatory red tape. So being able to embed that service with uh, little regulatory oversight and being able to do so in a very quick, easy to manage way, I think that you guys are gonna be in a very good position um, from, from here forward. And, um, you know, I'm excited about it. So uh, I'm already I'm already I'm already sold on it. So um, you're getting me pumped up here. Um, but but that is uh, that is something to look forward to. Yeah, absolutely, Scott. I, I completely agree with that. I think that um, you know, the, one of the big um, hypotheses we had uh, when starting Colleen was machine learning is going to change a lot of different um, verticals, a lot of different spaces. And we saw this great opportunity where machine learning was still a very new thing and is still a very new thing in this particular niche of fintech that we occupy. And for us, I think the, the bigger mission is not only um, helping our customers save dollars um, through the process that we do, but making that core technology, which is a, it's an industry changing technology, making that available to more businesses so that they could go and make their customers better off. I think that that's the, the, the overarching arc that, that we want to um, accomplish, right? That's the mission that we're on. So finding more than just one way to do that would, would be the holy grail. Yeah. And I think it's a noble thing. You know, it's, uh, you're, you know, you're doing something that is going to help save people money and um, yeah. it's all through transparency. So um, I really like your product. I think it's super interesting. And, um, you know, thanks a lot for, for coming on today and, and explaining. Um, I always like hearing you talk and, and, um, and it really makes me appreciate data more every time, uh, you know, we get you going and, and fired up about machine learning. So I appreciate that. Um, for those of you uh, listening who want to get a, um, you know, for those who, who want to reach you after this and, and learn more about Glean or learn more about your background. And um, I know you've had some, some books out and, and you do a lot in, uh, um, with, as far as like newsletter and writing and um, how could they reach you? Is there, uh, you know, is it LinkedIn, Twitter, or or where can they find more information about you and Glean? Yeah, absolutely. So I think, um, you know, in terms of Glean, we have Glean.ai. That's that's our homepage. You can find a lot of information about what we do and how we do it. Um, in reaching out personally to me, uh, best way to reach out uh, if, if you're interested in machine learning and how machine learning is changing different verticals. I, I run a newsletter on Substack. It's just encoresnewsletter.com. Maybe we could provide a link, but essentially that's the best way to to stay on top of some of these trends. And, and that newsletter in particular is catered towards uh, how ML is changing um, the way different startups are operating, right? So we, we do talk about machine learning at Glean there, um, but there are also other verticals, particularly in FinTech that we cover. All right, awesome. Um, so thanks a lot, Ankur. I really appreciate uh, you coming on and, and talking about Glean and your background and best of luck with, with you guys and what you're building. I'm really excited to see what, what comes. Yeah, thanks for having us, Scott. Really appreciate it. All right, thanks a lot. You've been listening to the Payments Innovation Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe now on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Until next time.